Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Tattoos are forever, right? We signed divorce papers and I went to my friend and told him, listen, I need to cover this face up. I need to do something with it. So can you come up with some ideas? And he's like, yeah, we could just put a, a void stamp on her face and you don't have to see it. I said, that's awesome. So as soon as he finished it, he covered it up. The owner like ran over and was like, show me the arm. And he flips out. The owner goes in the office and comes out with a little hatchet. It's such a great feeling to know that all the scars are never going to disappear. This is something that I can make beautiful. And that's just such a relief knowing that I'm not going to have to hide anymore. I told her daddy's tattoo meant that he didn't like people that weren't like him. But daddy doesn't feel that way now. So that's why he got it covered up. I'm Kyone Wolf. Hear stories about tattoo cover-ups, including my own on Audacious. After the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and that is the sound of a modern-day tattoo machine. And that sound has changed over the last 7,000 years, of course, when the first evidence of tattoo art was found. Back in those days, tattoos were sometimes created by cutting designs into the skin and rubbing the wound with ink. Other cultures hand-tapped the ink into the skin using sharpened sticks. This tradition continues to this day, and it sounds something like this. While the significance or reason behind the oldest known tattoos are total speculation, we do know that often they were applied as sacred rites and awarded as a signifier of adulthood. In ancient Egypt, it's likely they were used as a means of safeguarding women during pregnancy and birth. And in the ancient Greco-Roman world, they were applied on enslaved people who got caught trying to escape. But today, the reasons for getting a tattoo are as distinct as the person getting them. Sometimes it's a memorial to a person or an experience or an idea. Sometimes it's nothing more than something that looks really cool. So today you're going to hear stories about how people have used tattoos to allow their skin to, shall we say, evolve. Since the day I turned 18 in 1998, I've gotten a lot of tattoos. I'd estimate that collectively I've been under the needle for about 45 hours. Some of those hours were devoted to honoring my three big brothers. For my oldest brother, Chris, I wanted the word delirium in kanji, which are Japanese characters. But I really should have consulted with him when I asked him to send me an image of what the word looked like. See, delirium is a character I felt really close to from the Neil Gaiman comic book series Sandman. And Chris kind of perfectly embodied its main character, Dream. That series, which centers around the stories of seven eternal siblings, was a really important connection that we shared. And Chris lives in Japan, which is why I wanted it in Japanese. But I failed to ask just one question that would have prevented my future cover-up. What happens if I separate those Japanese characters? The plan was to get a forest of bamboo stalks running up my arm. They would remind me to bend, to be resilient. And I imagined the characters of the kanji would be stacked on top of each other as their own unique bamboo stalk in the forest. And that would be my ode to Chris. But the major key turned minor when he saw what I'd done. 
We haven't actually talked about this since it all happened in the late 90s. So when we connected via Zoom this week, I asked him to go back to when I first asked him for the kanji interpretation of delirium. So yeah, I wrote it in kanji and the, I guess there's a lot of ways you could say it in, in Japanese, but the, the word that I found that seemed the coolest was uh, seishin sakuran, uh, which basically means like mental confusion. Uh, <laughs> and basically, I want to boil it down. I mean, that is delirium. But, but um, <laughs> what is? No, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> but the, the thing to know about kanji is they're built up from smaller pieces, right? So they have small units. And you'll, if you're, when you're learning these, you learn these small units so you can, rec you can more easily recognize them. And uh, they can be put together in lots of different ways. But the, the four characters for delirium are basically units side by side. So think of like, uh, like if you take Jenga blocks or something, two vertical Jenga blocks and click them together, that's one character. Two more, that's another. Two more, that's another. Two more, that's another. And they might look like, there's, they can look like any number of things. It might look like you know, a grain of rice or a, a square with a line through it or, or a fish hook or whatnot. So anyway, yeah, so that's how this is written. It's these four symbols, each symbol made up of two vertical units. So when you sent these to me, I did not ask nope. whether it was okay to separate them in any way or whether or not that would change the meaning of it. Me, I just took them yep. and I stacked them on top of each other and uh, put it as a vertical piece that would be alongside stalks of bamboo on my forearm. So then when it was done, I sent you a picture of what was on my arm and what did you see? I, my, my stomach fell because I've, I've certainly, you know, you've been on the internet, you laugh at tattoo failures and whatnot, and only Grodd can judge me or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I saw that. I went, oh no, oh no, 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 no. That means nothing. That's like, if you, if you look at it from the top, it's like rice, blue, <laughs> uh, the symbol for the, the sound ne. Humble, gold, <laughs> long ago, tongue and a hook that doesn't mean anything. I looked at that and went, oh, no. I, and I said, I, I can't let her walk around with this. And so I had to send you an email that said, I'm so, so, so sorry. But that is wrong in almost every conceivable way. <laughs> I just felt so terrible because you're doing this really nice thing. You had, you had such nice intentions. And just, <laughs> oh, it didn't work. <laughs> and so then I think I came up with a pretty good solution. You have a really dark sense of humor. And the Sandman character that you emulate, Dream, is a dark character. And, and to Dream, it must be dark, right? So I filled in your bamboo stalk just with black. And so amidst <laughs> all these nicely shaded bamboo stalks, there's this one black one. one. <laughs> black, brooding, overly serious one. <laughs> Can't get over itself. It's great. <laughs> but I, I wonder, you know, you see... Like you were saying, you see on the internet all these fails. Especially with, with, with foreign languages in Japanese. There's there's whole websites dedicated to, hey, I got this tattoo when I was drunk. What does it mean? It's like, it means nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and here now your little baby sister is one of them. And so I wonder if this intimate fail, this familial fail, <laughs> in which you had so much compassion for me, yeah. do you think that you have at least like a smidge more compassion for people who also screw up who you don't know. I do. I do. I think a lot of people go to get their tattoos and, and, and they have, they have an intention. 
so I figure whoever's going to get their tattoos, they've, they've got purpose behind it. Yeah, so I do feel sympathy. I do sometimes laugh, but I, I, I do feel sympathy. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to my sister. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Well, thank you for talking with me about this. I love you. Love you too. You're gonna make mistakes, young. That was my big brother, Chris Gladys, in Osaka, Japan. Next up, Jim Bonaldo of Weathersfield with a cautionary tale. He takes us back to when he was in his early days of getting tattooed. I had just turned 16. I was making uh, my confirmation, which is when you become an adult in the Catholic Church. So I was going to get a cross with like this really edgy, you know, forgive them for you know not what they do. You know, like, oh, yeah. Wait, where were you going to get it on your body? Uh, on my arm. So we went, when he was drawing it up, he was a little off. Like He was like moving really slowly. Not like slurred speech, but definitely kind of mumbling. But you didn't know him, so you didn't really know if this is just the way this guy is or... Yeah, exactly. So when he drew it on the like parchment paper, whatever they do first, it looked fine. So then we went back in the waiting room while he got ready or whatever. And um, it took a while. Like we had, like I went in, and like asked, like is is everything all right? And the owner was there, and he's yeah, yeah, he's just saying up. So I was like, all right. So when we finally sit in the chair, he was kind of like spaced out. Now, like you know, red flags are going off in my head, but I was 16 at the time. I'm a nervous person as it is, so I thought like I was overreacting. I really wasn't the type to kind of advocate for myself yet on feeling uncomfortable and being like, well, maybe this shouldn't happen. So we start, and I could just, I could feel, like, his grip on my arm. It was more like he was steadying himself, Ooh. as opposed to just, like, holding my arm to, <laughs> to do the tattoo. Looking back on it now, <laughs> there's so many things where I should have just got out of that chair and just been like, nope, this isn't happening. And it got to the point where, like, it started to hurt. And later on, when this would be all over, I would have, like, black and blues from, like, his fingers in my arm. How long did it take? Um, about 45 minutes. But it felt, like, a lot longer. Like, he didn't show me, like, throughout the process. Like, I've gotten a lot of tattoos since. And they've always, like, stopped. And they're like, what, how do you think? And so as soon as he finished it, he covered it up. So as soon as he covered it, the owner, like, ran over and was like, show me the arm. The artist, like, his, now I look and his hand is just shaking. And he takes the cover off. And I couldn't look. But I saw the owner's face. And he flips out. He starts swearing at the guy, pushing him, hitting him. And the guy is pretty much, at this point, a zombie. And um, the owner goes in the office and comes out with a little hatchet. An actual hatchet? Yeah, an actual hatchet. Like the size, like the ones, you know, they have the axe throwing places now. Uh Uh-huh. Like one of those. He just has one lying around in his office, like next to the stencils and the pens and Apparently, I don't know what kind of people he deals with. So he comes out with a hatchet. Yep. The guy, he sees him, like, he wakes up a little bit from from that. He starts to run out of the store. And uh, the owner, he was a big guy, but he was also, like, heavy set. So I don't think he chased him very far. (laughs) Because he came back. And I vividly remember him, like, gasping for breath. Still didn't look. And then, like, once he puts the axe down and comes over to me, he's, like, a completely different person. He's comforting me. And then, like, he put my arm in front of me to be able to see it. And he started to explain, like, don't worry. Like, I can cover this up. We can put something over it. 
Like, he was apologizing profusely. He was saying a lot of not nice things about that guy, which, looking back on it now, like, why the hell did you employ them? What did you see when you finally saw what this dude did? The cross, like, one side was a lot longer than the other, like, lengthwise. The um, horizontal, like, one was just, like, non-existent, and the other one was super long, like, almost as long as the length. Some words were just omitted completely, and the rest were misspelled. So, essentially, the nightmare scenario for anyone who would ever want to get a tattoo ever. Exactly. Yep. Very good. Yeah. So, I was just, like, in shock for the whole rest of the day. Like, what you just said, the worst possible thing, like, you could think happened to a tattoo, like, happened to me, and I'm 16. So, within that year, I decided I didn't want to be Catholic anymore. So, the cross was probably going to get covered up eventually. Even if it was done pristinely. And without a hatchet? Yeah. A hatchet job? <laughs> there it is. It was right there, Jim. I'm stealing that. So you, you decide to cover this up for more than one reason, because not only was it a crappy tattoo, but you had lost faith in that faith. Yeah, so then I had to go, like, what's on there now? Like, it just looks ridiculous. So you tell it to cover up. Like, anyone who knows anything about tattoos, you see the huge black spot in the middle. So what is it now? It is a... Tiger over some weird waterfall thing. It's kind of overlooking a sunset. Like, even on its own, it's not a great tattoo. It's horrible. I didn't take care of it either because I was so bummed. So, like, I got sunburn on it. I let it scab and drew out all the color. An interesting sort of self-flagellation for the sins of deciding to get a tattoo at 16 years old. Yeah. So, really, you're you're good at the Catholic game. (laughs) Yeah, I learned well. Oh, Two years after I got this cover-up and stuff, I get a letter in the mail that apparently the artist had hepatitis and wasn't telling people and that I should probably go to get checked. Because, yeah, I forgot. My wife just said, don't forget that part. Yeah, so I went, I'm negative and all that, but yeah. Oh, good. That was Jim Bonaldo, father, husband, improv comic, storyteller, and tattoo canvas living in Wethersfield, Connecticut. The next voice you'll hear belongs to Tracy Wu Fastenberg of West Hartford, and she knows a thing or two about how a tattoo can start off feeling one way and end up feeling another. My parents were moving to Taiwan for three years, and the morning that they left, the limousine came to pick them up, and I said, hey, I'm getting a tattoo this afternoon. See you later. Have a great trip. You know, I'll see you in a few months. Um, and it was actually uh, the character of our Chinese name, Wu, on my back, but a little higher up so as not to be a, a tramp stamp. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What did your parents say when you said that? They said, oh, 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 okay, see you later. <laughs> like, Zoom. what were they going to do at that point? They were going halfway around the world for a few years. You know, so they they left, and uh, I got my first one. And as everybody says, you get your first ink, and it's addicting. Um, Well, my next one was not as well thought out. Obviously, my Chinese name means a lot. There's a lot of history. There's, um, you know, it's family. Um, And I had seen a picture in a book of a fairy crouching on a flower. And I was like, hey, I like that. It's cute. And I want to get a tattoo on my hip. And I was bartending at the time up at UConn. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to go do this. And I did. And I went to a tattoo parlor in Willimantic with one of my coworkers and one of my very, 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 very regulars. And from the moment I got the tattoo, I kind of hated it. How did you go from, oh, that's kind of cute, I want it, to I hate it? 
it didn't quite come out exactly the way that the picture I gave the artist, like she went, the, the fairy itself was naked and I did request no butt crack because, you know, I didn't really want a butt crack on my hip. Um, but instead of looking a, like this sort of like woodland fairy, she wound up looking like that little girl from the ring, you know, the one that crawls out of the television with her hair hanging down and everything. Like that's what she wound up looking like. And like the wings on her were like striped and that really wasn't what I wanted. So I didn't like it aesthetically. It didn't have meaning to me the same way as, you know, now all my other ink does. And so I was kind of like, eh, you know what, someday maybe I'll have it removed. I'll have it done over. And I, I think probably the most sentimental reason that I did like it was that I had a good friend with me and I had one of my regulars. And since then, that regular has passed away you know, it's kind of a memory of, of him, just kind of like really nice guy um, who I saw every day for a few years and, you know, a coworker who we saw each other through a couple of really tough times. But this past fall, I said, all right, it's time for it to go. I've had two kids. The fairy's looking a little sad. It's starting to fade. And, and so let's, let's cover it up. So I did cover it up. Um, so I no longer have a naked fairy with no butt crack on me. Um, it is covered with peonies and hydrangeas, which are uh, two of my favorite flowers, flowers that my daughter loves, and um, they've grown in each one of our homes where we're raising our kids. So it's kind of got that meaning to it, but not the same sort of heavy meaning that you know my family name has, or my children's Chinese names that are on my wrists or, or something like that. So now that you have it covered up and you look and you see something totally different, do you think about the old tattoo? Does it still kind of shine through in your mind, if not on your body? Or has it been covered up in every sense of the word? It's funny because it almost makes me think about it more now that it's covered up than I did for the, you know, 17 years that I had it and didn't cover it up. So you have two young kids. Yep. If one of them at some point wanted to get a tattoo, what would you say to them? It's sort of funny because I would probably go with them to go have it done because um, I think the experience of having it done is a memory unto itself. Um, I would suggest that they think a really long time about what it is, not to just get something that they like the look of, but something that means something to them. You know, I'd have to check myself as far as saying, well, no, 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 that doesn't mean anything to you. And because that would be completely dismissive of something that they may hold near and dear to their heart. And I think that might be the hardest part of it because I have a lot of opinions. And as a parent, you always want the best for your kid. But I would want to let them, if they do make a mistake of some sort with ink, let them make that um, just like any other mistake in life because it's, it's a learning experience and it still comes with memories. You don't cover up the memories. Exactly. Tracy Wu Fastenberg is a fundraiser for a nonprofit and a baby wearing enthusiast of her two children in West Hartford. When we get back, we signed divorce papers and I went to my friend and told him, listen, I need to cover this face up. I need to do something with it. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today we're talking about how people use tattoos to cover up what was there before. And 
This next one is about how one person decided to void a marriage, at least on the surface. Addie Irizarry was a professional boxer and is now a school safety officer and boxing trainer living in Tolland. But when life landed a sucker punch, Addie found a combination to knock him out. I was with my ex-wife and, you know, I thought at the time that she was the love of my life. So I decided, oh, let me do a portrait of her on, you know, I'll always have her by my side. So I'll just do a portrait of her. So now uh, this is a portrait of her face on what part of your body? I actually have two on my calf and, and then the front. Wait, my shin. Two of her face? Yes. Two modeling pictures that she had. I tattooed it on my leg. You know, I thought we was going to be together forever, but it didn't turn out that way. So I decided to kind of cover it up a little bit. After the relationship had ended, how soon did you feel the urgency to cover this up? Was it like, oh, this is over. I'm going tomorrow to get these covered up. Or did you take some time or something else? No, I actually did. I did it pretty quick. Uh, we signed divorce papers and I went to my friend and told him, listen, I need to cover this face up. I need to do something with it. So. Can you come up with some ideas? And he's like, yeah, we could just put a, a void stamp on her face and you don't have to see it. I said, that's awesome. Wait a minute. How big is the void stamp? Does it cover like most of her face or like half of it or how much? It actually goes across her face diagonally. So I don't see her face at all. Did you get both of her faces voided? I did. That was part of my letting go process. Stamping the face. You know what I mean? What do you think it is about you and your personality that made you want to take something so big and painful like a divorce and make it something funny? I don't know, that's just how I am. That's just my personality. I don't try to, you know, let things bring me down. I always try to see the funny part of things just to make it a little lighter or whatever. But that's just me. I'm just a funny person, you know. So would you get anyone else's face tattooed on your body again? No, that is the only one that I, I mean, I love my wife currently now. That's a lesson learned. The only one I would get tattooed on me would be my pit bull, Cleo. Because Cleo's not going to do you wrong. No, that's, a, that's my loyal girl right there. She's loyal. So if you could go back to yourself, like back in time and talk to yourself while you were getting her face, her faces tattooed on your body and give yourself a message, what would that message be? I wouldn't change anything about my life. I got good things out of the marriage. I got bad things out of the marriage, but it just makes you stronger. You know what I mean? It's just lessons learned and I'll, I'll take whatever. I would never change anything in my life because I, you know, I, I've been through it all, but because I've been through it all, it's made me a stronger person. It's part of the mistakes in life, you know what I mean? You gotta cover it up and keep it moving. That was Addie Irizarry, heavyweight champion of awesome cover-up tattoos. Mike Kalinowski of Baltic, Connecticut, found out the hard way how a nice gesture could lead to more time under the needle. He takes us back to the beginning. I was uh, around 20 years old, and one of our friends was saying she couldn't get a tattoo because she was a hemophiliac. Just so people know, what does that mean? Uh, so hemophilia is a disease where your blood doesn't clot. And if you have a major cut, you will bleed to death, more or less, unless you get proper medical attention. As a 20-year-old, 
I took that as, oh yeah, I mean, you bleed a little bit when you get a tattoo. So I'm like, being the chivalrous guy I am, why don't I get a tattoo for you, what you would get, and then I'll put your name on it. So are you dating at this point? Or is she just like a buddy in the friend group? She was a friend as a 20, 21 year old guy. I may have ulterior motives, but I didn't expect anything out of it. I wasn't doing it to get something in return. I was just like, hey, let me show you what a great guy I am. I'll get a tattoo for you. So I was like, what would you get if you could get a tattoo? And she said, I would get cherries because that was her thing. You know, she, everything, she'd have t-shirts with cherries, stickers, cherries, the whole deal, you know? So she definitely, definitely was not lying about that. No, no, she definitely liked cherries. <laughs> so that was the only thing I know she didn't lie about. <laughs> so I had a friend of mine draw it up, had, you know, nice wind lines and everything, a nice banner that went across. And I put her name on it. What dare I ask? What, what, what what's her name? Uh, her name was Jamie. <laughs> I found out after the fact. Not only did she lie about not being a hemophiliac, she also lied about the spelling of her name. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No. No. It just gets better from here. She put a Y instead of the the I in Jamie because it looked cooler. Well, why do anything? You know. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you're going, if you're going to go big, just go all the way. You know. So. Sure. So you you get your friend to draw up this banner that says Jamie, uh, with some cherries, and you get this thing done, and then she sees it. Yeah, loved it. Thought it was great. And as people grow apart, stopped hanging out with that crew, and then. Uh, I was going to just cover the entire thing, but when I went to talk to the tattoo artist, he said, I mean, it's good work, so let's just cover the banner. And so her name is gone. I still have the cherries, but the name's gone. So what's on it now? So it was on the back of my calf, and I actually covered, we did a pirate gal with a like the steering wheel behind her, and the steering wheel covers the banner perfectly. I'm happier with the cover-up than the banner. So, I'm, I'm, you know, it was a good excuse to get a pinup girl. <laughs> Nobody needs an excuse to get a pinup girl, but very good. How much do you think about the original Jamie? And how much do you not? How do you balance that when you, when you see it? I, I look back on it and I laugh. I mean, I actually, a friend of ours had known them in Massachusetts. I told him about how she wanted me to do it. And then he was taking a sip of his beer. And I said, so I got it. And I, I got a legit spit take out of it. And so that was worth it right there for me as someone who enjoys making people laugh to get a spit take in real life uh, was priceless. So that's, that's what I take away from everything. Would I change it? No, it is what it is. You know, I, now I have a great story. I'm talking to you because of it, so. That was Mike Kalinowski of Baltic, Connecticut. Next, you'll hear from Jessica Payne of Bristol. And true to her name, she's tough. And as a young woman, she wanted to get a tattoo that represented that strength. But thanks to some highly effective mansplaining, it would take a while till she could get it done right. So this is my, like, first actual tattoo, like, go to a tattoo place, you know. I went with a friend. We were both getting our Zodiac signs because that's what you do in great team. We got there and I had this idea of getting this really kind of strong 
looking lion and I wanted it on my forearm and I wanted it to fit my personality, you know, strong and tough and a little aggressive. And the tattoo artist was like, no, I don't think you should do that. Not for your first tattoo. It's too manly. You're going to regret it when you're older. A lot of these, you know, just, oh, you should go with something softer. You should go with something more gentle. You're a girl. You, you're not going to want that later in life. And I was like, I don't know. You know, I was 18. And my thought was, maybe he's right. Maybe I would regret it later if I had something that was, you know, such a tough looking tattoo. Maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. I just kind of undermined my own thinking. You know, instead of sticking to my guns of what, you know, I wanted, I was just kind of like, well, he's older and he's been doing this for a really long time and he, maybe he knows better than I know my own self. And he drew me a lion tattoo that at the time I was like, okay, I guess it's all right. But it was just a lion sitting on clouds with these rainbow wings, which in no way fit my personality whatsoever. It was like the antithesis of who I was. And when you walked out of the parlor that day? It's not like I walked out of the place and hated it, but it was also on my back. So I think if it were somewhere where I did have to see it, I would have hated it pretty quickly. So what changed? Well, so a lot changed. I mean, I got several crummy tattoos over the years. And then, you know, I went to nursing school and I, my like graduation present to myself was... Um, a tattoo and I got a Betty Page tattoo done. And that was my first like serious tattoo piece by a serious artist that like I really put the time and effort in and they put the time and effort in and it was a collaborative artistic effort. And once I got that, I was like, all of my other tattoos are awful. (laughs) Once you get that first good tattoo, everything changes. You're like, what was I thinking all these other times? Eventually, I was like, I, I just don't want that first tattoo there. It didn't fit me at all. And so um, a friend of mine in California is a tattoo artist and kind of does that, you know, new age, you know, kind of tattoo stuff. And yeah, for my birthday, we flew to California and he had drawn up this, this lion. And I was like, it's perfect. It's exactly what I wanted. You don't look at it too often because it's on your back. But when you do catch a glimpse of it, How much do you think of the tattoo that it's covered? And how much do you think of the tattoo that it is? When you get a tattoo covered up, especially one that you've had there for so long that really it's a part of your body after, you know, almost 20 years, it doesn't go away. So it's, I can't really look at one and not think of the other. I wonder if, and forgive me if I'm stretching here, but I wonder if every time you see that tattoo, which contains that older one, It's like an ode to yourself. Like, yeah, yeah, you've come a long way and you are so much more self-assured now and you know yourself and what you want. But inside you, there is still somewhere that 18-year-old who maybe needs a little nudge now and then to step into herself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's definitely that growth and perspective of who you are when you're, you know, younger or who you are when you're at a certain point in your life and who you become down the road, you know. And having lots of tattoos. I probably have like 40, 50 or something living this, at this point. Like in the beginning, people would say, oh, don't you think you're going to regret that? And I'm like, no, you can just cover them up. <laughs> I mean, you grow and you change and your perspective on things changes. And 
the stuff that you like in your teens and twenties isn't going to be the stuff that you like when you're older, but that's, that's just how it is. There's nothing like, yeah, it's not a regret thing. It's not like I regret that first tattoo. It just wasn't me anymore. That was Jessica Payne. She lives in Bristol with her wife, three children, four cats, two dogs, and a ball python named Ozzy. After working as an emergency room nurse for over a decade, she now has a career in the life-saving world of organ donation. After the break. All the scars are never going to disappear. This is something that I can make beautiful, and that's just such a relief. I told her daddy's tattoo meant that he didn't like people that weren't like him, but daddy doesn't feel that way now, so that's why he got it covered up. Hear how two people used fresh ink to help heal old wounds. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, we're talking about how people have gotten new tattoos to cover up old tattoos, but this next story is a bit of a different take. And you should know this conversation deals with self-harm. So if that'll be too tough on the heart, give yourself a break and come back in about five minutes. A Vermont woman named Michaela, who's asked that we only use her first name for privacy, recently heard about a tattoo artist named Alex Lawrence. Alex owns Mountainside Tattoo in Bellows Falls, Vermont, and he offers to do tattoos for free in certain circumstances, including for those who are looking to cover up their scars from self-harm. And Michaela has an armful. She talked with me while she was at the tattoo parlor with Alex, and I asked her to tell me about how she first began cutting. You'll also hear from Alex during the interview. So I, I was a foster kid and some of my foster, one of my foster homes kind of introduced me to self-harm as a way to punish myself so they wouldn't have to punish me. So whenever I felt like I had done something wrong, I'd cut. That became a habit of anytime I felt like I made a mistake, I had to punish myself. How would you know, all right, I feel better, I'm going to stop for this session at least? There's kind of like this release that happens when you cut. I don't know quite how to describe it, but it just feels like all that bad energy just comes out through the blood. And once that felt like it was out, it was out. And it feels like getting a new tattoo. Yeah, it definitely feels like getting a tattoo. Growing up, I went through a lot of traumatic stuff as a child. And I probably would have been a cutter too, but I found tattooing. I've been tattooing since I was like 15. So fortunately for me, I was able to give myself pain, but it showed it as a tattoo and not a cut. People tend to look at tattoos as being okay, but cutting, when they see your arm full of cuts, they look at you differently. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I do it for people is because I would be in the chair myself where you're sitting if it wasn't for tattooing. Yeah. Tattooing has kind of become this, this way of, taking pain in my life and making it into something beautiful. Some people have the opportunity in their experiences to say, this is my final cut, or I'm not doing this anymore. And they, they have almost like a, 
a ritual for one last cut or a ritual to get rid of the razor or whatever you're using. Did you have that one last cut? No, I think, so I, I ended up meeting um, this family that I call my adopted family and they really showed me what loving people could be and through that feeling like I had a purpose and had someone who loved me really allowed me to stop self-harming. So it was a process. Um, to be honest, it's something that never really disappears even as an adult and being years from self-harming is still always that back of your head thing. So I never thought this was going to be my last cut. It just, it kind of just happened. And um, now when I think about it, I have a lot of really great people in my life that I can reach out to instead of cutting. Um, but it becomes an addiction. People don't understand that, that when you cut, it's a, it releases hormones and neurotransmitters and stuff. And it really gives you a, like a high. Um, so it's really hard to leave that because, as a person who self-harms that that is a comforting feeling will you tell me about the tattoo yeah it's um it's going to be it's a forest scene with a deer um trees and mountains and a waterfall um it's really supposed to be about my my childhood here in vermont vermont was always this really difficult place for me um and i'm kind of Reowning it and taking taking um, ownership over my life here in Vermont now, I can make it into something beautiful. Now, of course, the scars will still be visible to a degree, yeah? It's going to make it so it's not the first thing people see when they meet me. You won't have to wear long sleeves in job interviews and talk to people with your hands behind your back. Right? Yeah, trying to date, you know, that, that's always the real real hard thing of meeting somebody and them seeing that. So now this is a way that I can decide when someone gets to know about that past. So how does it feel right now getting this done? It's just a such a great feeling to know that if I'm going to have something permanent on my body, like scars, I want it to be something beautiful. So while the scars are never going to disappear, this is something that I can make beautiful. And that's just such a relief um, knowing that and I'm not going to have to hide anymore. That was Michaela from Vermont. And if you struggle with self-harm, you can text a crisis counselor at 741-471 or call the Trevor Lifeline at 1-866-488-7386. You also heard the voice of Alex Lawrence, owner of Mountainside Tattoo in Bellows Falls, Vermont. Alex is one of many tattooers who also covers up racist tattoos for free. Kevin Betch and David Spenny of Silkworm Tattoo in Hamilton, Ohio do it too. And 34-year-old Dickie Markham took them up on their offer. Dickie talked with me about what led him to getting a large swastika tattooed over his heart and why, after 13 years of having it, he put himself under two tattoo machines on Juneteenth of this year to cover it up completely with a giant black rose. I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, and I was uh, the target of a lot of violence. And I, I knew a lot of white supremacist families in the area. I was friends with their kids. Their parents were pushing the agenda onto me as well. So me being young and impressionable, I was falling for it. Basically, they were showing me, you're not loved by everybody else in this neighborhood, but you're loved by us. So they were giving me this false sense of security to draw me in. 
they basically made it seem like it was just a big brotherhood. Whites take care of whites. That's what we do. We love you. As I got older and the more issues I had, I don't know if it was because I was young and I didn't know any better or they had already gotten to me to the point to where I couldn't see anything else, but it really pushed the white supremacist message forward in my mind when I was experiencing even worse things going into high school. I mean, it got so bad that my parents had to withdraw me from high school because of safety reasons. It made it almost fact for me. And I got out of high school and met a woman and six months into our relationship, she was kidnapped, sexually assaulted by a black man. And that was the tipping point for me. That, that was the final straw. And I went out and got my white supremacist tattoos. Yeah, you got a swastika outlined on your chest. And how did it feel to get that, especially once you got it filled in? How did it feel with it on your body in such a prominent position? It felt right at the time. I felt that what I was doing was a good thing. And, you know, every time I talk about it, I kind of kick myself in the ass for ever feeling that way. What kind of message did you hope it would convey and to whom? That if you are not a straight white Christian, stay away from me. That symbol, even though people are standing up against it, is it is still intimidating in a more intimate setting. So if you get into an argument with somebody in a parking lot and you take your shirt off, they're more inclined to walk away from you because they don't want to deal with a neo-Nazi. So I also used it as a shield. So what changed? Uh, after the assault, she and I had to move out of state. And when I came back, I started looking for, uh, looking for work and I started working construction jobs and pouring concrete and in industries like that, you work with every color under the sun. So working with all these different cultures, the more I got to talking to them, the more I could see that my beliefs were just absolutely wrong. And it wasn't instant. It wasn't something that, you know, I just flip a switch and I was a different person because it took me a while to get over my homophobic mentality as well. Did they go hand in hand, the racism and the homophobia? Uh, yeah, it's really hard to uh, hate one, but not hate the other. For most people, they go hand in hand. I'm sure there are people out there who may have had racial tendencies and got out of it, but still have an issue with homosexuality or the LGBTQ plus community. But it's all hate. It's all racism and being prejudiced towards people who aren't exactly like you. When it comes to changing that mentality, it, it takes a lot of work. Now, you said that you had kept the swastika tattoo for a while, hoping it would be kind of a punishment. Can you talk more about that? After I started changing my mentality and, and really getting to know my coworkers and, and other people of color and different cultures, backgrounds, religions, I started thinking of all the times that I took my shirt off during 
fights or confrontations and all the people that I know I upset. So as punishment to myself, I did keep the tattoo. I was ashamed of, of myself. I was ashamed of that tattoo and I never, I didn't go swimming. I never took my shirt off. I didn't like having my shirt off in my own house. I was just so ashamed of myself and embarrassed of that tattoo that I just, I kept it as punishment and kept it covered until I found out I was going to be a father. And that's when I decided to sit down in my kitchen with tattoo equipment and tattoo an X over it. Tell me about that. I didn't want them growing up with the mentality that it's okay to be hateful. So I sat down and I tattooed a big red X over it. But unfortunately, all that black ink from the swastika bled through that red and it just looked like a bleeding swastika. Not exactly what you were going for. So you eventually got it completely covered up and on Juneteenth. Yep. A buddy of mine, he contacted me, let me know that there was a local tattoo shop that was covering up racial tattoos. And um, we scheduled it for Juneteenth. And when I went in, we did the cover up and they did it for free. And when it was done, I stood up and I was looking in the mirror and I started crying in front of two men I didn't know. <laughs> so it was it, it was definitely a, a feel-good moment that I didn't have to look in the mirror with shame anymore. When you got home, how'd you explain it to your kids? What'd you say? So my oldest is five and explaining it to a five-year-old was kind of tough. I never told her what, what my tattoo meant. So, uh, we sat down and I, I told her uh, the best way I could think to explain to a five-year-old, I told her, you know, daddy's tattoo meant that he didn't like people that weren't like him, but daddy doesn't feel that way now. So that's why he got it covered up. That was the only way I could think to explain it. And then she was watching me on the news and she told me she was proud of me because I didn't hate people anymore. So even a five-year-old knows that it's wrong to hate people. That made me ball my eyes out when she told me she was proud of me. After you got it covered up and you had some pictures from being in the chair and wrote a really heartfelt post on Facebook. And at this point, it's at over 50,000 likes or reactions, 22,000 shares what kind of responses are you getting from people? Most of it is positive. I, I got like a 4,000 messages in four days. So the first couple of days, my phone was going off constantly. I've had people from all over the world contact me and tell me that they are so proud of me for waking up. And that that's where a lot of that emotion came from is I, I grew up feeling like I wasn't loved. I didn't feel a connection with anybody and then I get my tattoo covered and I'm getting this overwhelming flood of love and positivity. And I mean, I, I cried for days, just happy tears sitting on the couch reading all these messages. And I replied to every single one of them. You've gotten overall tons of positive responses. You've gotten supportive media attention, a bunch of people like me who want to hear your story because you've, You've done the right thing after doing the wrong things, right? 
And at the same time, you know that this redemption story is made easier because you're white. You know, like black people overall don't get a lot of leeway to evolve. And I wonder how, like, how do you respond to that? I got into a conversation with uh, a couple of people of color that contacted me about um, my cover up. And we were talking about basically the civil rights movement and how, you know, protests have been going on since the 60s about freedom for black Americans and how um, we live in a society that is completely okay with racism within the government and having all this systemic racism, all these problems. And I know that if people were going to listen to people of color, systemic racism would already be dead. Unfortunately, it's not. And it's going to take guys like me who are white to use their privilege to eradicate it, to destroy it. That is, that is our job as white people. That is our job to do the things that people of color don't have the chance to do in this country to help them. That way it can get to the point to where if it starts to come back, they can step up and say, no, we're not going to allow this. That was Dickie Markham from Cincinnati, Ohio, and he's starting his own Erase the Hate nonprofit that raises money so that people like him can get their hateful tattoos covered. You can find him and his work on Facebook at Dickie Markham. That's spelled D-I-C-K-I-E-M-A-R-C-U-M. For this episode, I put a call out on social media at Kion Wolf BT Dubs for stories about tattoo cover-ups, and I got so many I couldn't fit them all into this show, so head over to ctpublic.org slash audacious to hear more and to see photos of these cover-ups. Audacious is produced by me and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. If tattoo cover-ups have been or will be a part of your life, I really want to hear your thoughts. My email is cwolf at ctpublic.org and online use the hashtag audaciouspublic. Thanks for listening and always remember to tip your tattooers. Tattoo.